Hope you're all doing well tonight. All of you are surviving Christmas. <laughs> Think about Christmas, though. It's, it's a holiday that affects people around the whole world, including those who don't even know Jesus. It blesses even them, and it's so far from the epicenter of knowing Christ, but yet the ripple effects of Jesus even way out on the periphery, we, even in a Muslim land or to a Jewish person, it can touch them, Hindu, and affect them. And that's not even the heart of Jesus. That's just the ripple effect of the holiday. The Lord is amazing. Hallelujah. So, like I said, welcome to church tonight, and welcome to those of you who are online. And I'm just going to say a quick word of prayer, and then we're going to get into the, the message for tonight. So, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for everyone who's gathered here and gathered Online, O oh Lord, in your name we pray. We just pray for your, for your anointing to be on this servant and on the hearts of all those brothers and sisters in Christ and anyone who doesn't know you tonight to prepare their hearts for your word, that this word would be a word of encouragement and light that is shed from your word on an important subject. And I thank you, Lord, for the help ahead of time in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you could turn with me in your Bibles, please, to Matthew Chapter 4, verse 19. And the the uh, title of tonight's message is The Sign Says Help Wanted. So in Matthew 4, verse 19, this is Jesus speaking. He's calling the disciples. It says, Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. So this is the seventh, this message is the seventh in a series of sermons on what it means to follow Jesus to be his disciples. And tonight I'm going to focus on one of the most challenging for many Christians, one of the most challenging aspects of being a disciple. And that is the concept of being a fisher of men. Even for Christians that are meeting all the other aspects of discipleship, you know, who are listening to Jesus and applying his teachings to their life. They're walking with Jesus. They're making progress. They're abiding in him. They're denying self. They're dropping things that interfere with following him. They're loving the brothers and sisters. They're loving their neighbors. They're using their talents for the kingdom. Uh, They have solid lives of discipleship. They're keeping their eyes on Jesus. Many Christians struggle with this area of being fishers of men. And frankly, sometimes, brethren, I've been around the kingdom of God for 48 and a half years, but who's counting? Sometimes we're worse at being fishers of men after many years of serving Jesus than we were at the beginning. That's, that's true. And that's a fact, and I can state that from ex- experience and from observation. So our initial exuberance gives way to a calcification of our faith. And for a variety of reasons, we can stiffen up when it comes to sharing the gospel with others. And this should not be, and it need not be. And I really want to encourage folks tonight that actually working with the Holy Spirit to reach those around us with the gospel is actually one of the most exciting and fulfilling things that you can experience in this life. That's true, isn't it? And so when we fall short of what God expects in our lives... What is it that helps fix us? If there is a problem with an issue in our lives, and for many this is a problem, 
You know, I could cite the surveys that tell us this from Christianity. What does one do? You know, and it's always going to be go to the Word of God and pray. The Word of God and praying about our weaknesses is how we improve as disciples of Jesus. When I experience a roadblock in my walk, what changes me is spending some time in prayer and studying the Word of God for my direction. And in order to accomplish forward progress in Jesus, we often have to let Jesus break us down in our spirit so that he can rebuild us to be more like Jesus. So, brothers and sisters, don't be discouraged in this. If you look at the scripture where Jesus says, I will make you fishers of men, there are three important components here. First of all, Jesus, the I am, of this whole scripture... He is the one that is the most important part of this whole process. Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. Well, then there's you. There's you. We're usually the ones stuck in the middle, right? We're the ones who get stuck. But if we get our eyes off of our part, and we get our eyes on Jesus like I was sharing about last time, placing your eyes on Jesus, the one who will make us fishers of men, that is the important part. And then there's the other folks, the the men that we're fishing for. So brethren, brothers and sisters, whether I'm a zero in this area, or a two, or a three, or a seven, I'm going on a scale of one to ten here, not one to a hundred. But whether we're zeros, twos, threes, sevens, eights, fives, four, you know the beautiful thing about being a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, is we can make progress. That's what it's all about. Walking in Jesus is a progression your entire life of serving Jesus, you're going to get by God's grace and and by his enabling power better and better at every part of living the Christian life. And so am I. Even if right now you are terrible at witnessing, including you have no appetite for witnessing. I'm scared about witnessing. I can't do it. I don't know what to say. I freeze up. That's okay. Start right there. That's the beginning. Admitting that is the beginning of brokenness before the Lord. It's okay to say, I can't do it. You're right. You can't do it. I can't do it. With man, this is not possible. But with God, all things are possible. And nothing is impossible. Praise God. And of course, brethren, there's a minimal threshold that most Christians, disciples of Jesus, would meet when push comes to shove. And the minimal threshold would be confessing Christ to others. In particular, confessing Christ to others under pressure or duress. Let's go to Matthew 10.32. I'm just going to set the low bar here. The low bar for our confession of Christ. Matthew 10.32. You're still in Matthew. Jesus said in 10.32, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So at the most basic level of confession, God forbid that we would not admit to someone that we are a follower of Jesus if someone asked us, are you a Christian? Right? God forbid. I think everybody in this room tonight, are you a Christian? Why, yes, I am. Why, yes, I am. But that's the most basic level of of confessing Jesus. If someone asked you, are you a Christian? Yes, I am. You know, P 
Peter failed this test. Did not Peter fail this test on the night of Christ's betrayal? Did not they come to him three times and say, are you with this guy? Uh, No, I don't know. No, you know this guy, don't you? Uh, No, no, I don't know him. You're one of his followers, aren't you? Oh, no, no, I, I don't know him. Wow, he didn't meet that test. But a short amount of time later, the same Peter is confessing Jesus Christ boldly in front of thousands. And shortly later, he's being put in prison and he will not deny Christ. That's amazing. That's the transforming power of Jesus making someone a fisher of men. And on the day of Pentecost, what does it say? Like 3,000 were added from Peter's preaching. Praise God. You know, brethren, sharing your faith is evidence of your first love, which the Bible encourages us to get back to at every stage in our walk, whether we've been saved two years, five years, ten years, fifty years. If your love for Jesus starts to fade, Jesus encourages us, go back to your first love. Discover again what is your first love. I remember when I was just a boy, in fifth grade, I'll confess to you, in fifth grade, I had a crush on a girl, an older girl in sixth grade. And uh, I thought she was the bomb, you know. I don't even remember her name now. <laughs> Just shows you how important, you know. But I was a fifth grade boy, and wow, this girl was great, you know. She was pretty and everything else. But So I, my, my thing was, I, I had a crush on her. And so I convinced all my friends to also have a crush on her. I guess I was a persuasive guy back then, too. But we used to, you know, gather up all the guys and drive up and down her street hoping to get a glimpse of this, of this first love of mine, so to speak. <laughs> but when we come to know Jesus... Jesus becomes the best love we will ever have in our lives, and we're so excited to tell people about him. So when we find ourselves getting away from that, that's like a ding, 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 ding indicator. It's an indicator that we may be straying from the first love that we had for Jesus at the start. Let me ask you, all objections aside, all apprehensions aside, all obstacles aside, are are you willing tonight, brethren, to let Jesus make you If he will do the making, are you willing to let him make you be a fisher of men? Answer that question in your own heart. Are you willing? I'm not going to be able to make you a fisher of men. Not tonight, not the next sermon, not the next sermon. But are you willing to let Jesus make you a fisher of men? I hope the answer is yes. Are you willing to seek God for that? Because that's what what it's going to take. It's going to take some time of seeking and praying about it. A couple of weeks ago, when I finished my last message, you know, brethren, right away, now I have a whole series here on disciples, but right away, as soon as I finished that message, the Holy Spirit in my heart, I knew that the next message I would be sharing would be about fishers of men. And believe it or not, uh, us three brothers who do a lot of the sharing here, we, we rarely talk about what we're going to be sharing next. We're not coordinating at all. Okay, so interestingly, Brother Brian on Sunday morning shared a, shared a very provoking message about Letting the gospel spread, let that be an effect of the Holy Spirit, right? So this message, I was already, uh, let me see, I worked on it Saturday. This message was well underway Saturday. I don't know what he's going to preach. He preaches that message. So when the Spirit speaks to the church through multiple parties, right, then Brother Brother Gary Madiri in an elder meeting just last week said the Holy Spirit was really speaking to him in his heart to say it's time to go on the offensive, that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church because we're on the offensive. Don't be on the defensive. So Brother Gary is saying that. Brother Brian has a message. Anyway, 
I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm excited because this is, this is where the Lord seems to be leading us for 2024. And whenever God starts speaking like that, things are going to start happening. Praise God. If 2024 was a year where we all became a little bit better at winning souls for Jesus, we had more success at it, more souls were added to God's kingdom, what Christian would argue that this was not a wonderful thing? Wouldn't that be a fantastic outcome? Would anybody want to argue? Oh, no, that would be terrible. Oh, what are we going to do with all those people? How, what are we going to do with all these people? Where are we going to put them? Whatever your objection might be. I don't think anyone here who believes in Jesus would think that to be a bad thing. And if you do, well, God forbid, I'm not even going to go there, right? Amen. You may not know at this point how this will take place or what part in it you might play. You could be doubting yourself in this endeavor, but I think that you would at least be thankful and excited if this is what you were going to see going on around you. I have confidence in you, brothers and sisters. And my hope is to help us see, the, see better the need and to provide some encouragement in this regard, to see what is going on with the big picture, how to get better at it, a nudge towards doing the things that are necessary to, to see more people come to know Jesus. You know, as I mentioned earlier, it's a walk, it's a progression. We're moving forward in Jesus as a church and each individual person. And, and when you're on a walk or a journey, you put one foot in front of the other the whole way. That's why the Bible calls it a walk. So we're all getting better at this, no matter what our starting point is, by God's grace and through the leading of his word. Praise God. You know, I've been a coach for track and field at Living Word Academy, and almost all kids that come to me in 7th or 8th grade, uh, they're all, when, I, when they start out throwing the shot put and discus, they're all, no offense guys, you're all almost zeros when it comes to skill level. Okay? Whatever you bring to the table, you're almost a zero if not a zero. None of you are minuses, but my point is that they make progression. Okay? First, they learn how to hold the shot put. Then they learn how to put their feet. Then they learn how to move. Then they train and get stronger, etc., etc. So from a coaching point of view, the kids start at zeros. Then, the Lord, then, then we help them become ones, twos, threes, fives, six, sevens. We have tons of kids who were sectional champions in shot put and discus, boys and girls. We have got kids who were the state qualifying champions. We had kids last year who went to, to, the, to the state championship, which is not bad for a little tiny school, right? Praise God. But my point is it's a progression. And I've been, I've been working out most of my life. I was an athlete when I was younger. And believe it or not, I still do some exercise regularly, actually. And I thank God for that. But my point is, I'm used to the concept of progression. You're always progressing when you're exercising. You're trying to increase the weight a little bit. Now, in my older age, when I work out with dumbbells, I don't like to make big jumps. Like, even going from like a 25 to a 30 pound. Ooh, that's way too big of a jump. So I bought these little magnets. They're one and a quarter pounds each. So I, first I put one and a quarter pounds onto the 25-pound dumbbell. And then after a while, I get strong, believe it or not. And then I add a second one, and, I, and so forth and so on. The progressions are slow and smaller as you get older, but it's all about making progression in Christ. And this area of winning souls is challenging for many in the body of Christ. Not just, not just here at Living Word Church. You know, the statistics nationally speak of that. I'm not going to get into the statistics, lest any of you say, oh, see... Christians aren't good at winning souls. I don't care about what the statistics are elsewhere. 
I care about what the statistics are here, right? And here, we're preaching from the Word of God. We have a wonderful body of Christian people who are very talented and gifted in the Lord, very well taught. So I only care about really here. And like Brother Brian's been talking about, even if churches are de-churching, I'm looking for the Lord to re-church here. Praise God. That's what I'm believing God for. So I don't want to feed into what the statistics are. I want to feed into what the Word of God says. And Jesus said, follow me. Follow me, follow Jesus, and I will make you a fisher of men. Praise God. Now, sometimes at our most basic level, you know, I think about this, these type of things a lot. Sometimes we do not witness to people because, believe it or not, we have a fear of success. We have a fear of success. You know, Jonah had a fear of success. Did not Jonah have a fear of success? The Lord's sending me to Nineveh. I'm going to preach to these people. They're going to repent. They're the enemies of Israel. God's going to forgive them. He's not going to judge them. Jonah had a fear of success. He wanted to see Nineveh destroyed. So what did God have to do? God had to break him down to change his heart. The Bible says specifically, he went down to Joppa. He went down to Joppa. He went down into the boat. He went down into the sea. That's what the language the Bible uses. He went down into the belly of the whale. God had to break him down to get him to have a heart that actually would listen to God, right? So there could be a fear of success. Well, brother, why would I, why would I be afraid of winning a soul to Christ? Well, when you win a soul to Christ, you take on more responsibility for that person, don't you? I'm just telling you. And some people, I don't want any responsibility for anybody else. I just want my life. But if you win a soul to Christ, you're going to be involved in that soul going forward. And you might, your hopes might be dashed if that person doesn't make it. So there, there's that kind of a fear. I get that. Or some past discouragement that you had where some hard-won soul, something happened and they got derailed and that was very discouraging. Or you might have the fear of failure. You know, these are the common fears that people have and things like this. Fear of failure might be, oh, it's not going to work. No one's going to listen to me. People are going to reject me. They used to like me, but now they're not going to like me. It's not going to work anyway. So fear of failure. But I don't really care about the fear of success or the fear of failure. I care about what Jesus said here. And I'm going to talk about this now. Wherever you're at, wherever you're at, whether you're a, a zero in witnessing or a one in witnessing or a five or an eight, nine, you know, eights and nines and tens. We have, brethren, we have brothers and sisters in our church that are, in my opinion, super high scorers in witnessing. They are eights, nines, and even tens. And, and uh, one brother I, th- I think of in particular, you know, he witnesses just about every person that he ever runs into everywhere. Even when I take him fishing, he, he's late by 10 minutes because he stopped to witness to his neighbor. Now, how could I not forgive the guy for that? It was a good excuse, and it was a real excuse. So, okay, but my point is this. Most of us are not, including myself. I'm not an 8, 9, or a 10. I'm not an 8, 9, or 10. So pros in the Lord, you keep doing what you're doing. You are wonderful examples. You're wonderful examples, and we need those examples of people sharing like that. For the rest of us, I'm not going to give any excuses for the rest of us, me or you. And the purpose of tonight is to help you and me from the scriptures, all of us do a little bit better in this important area. Why did I name this, why did I call this message Help Wanted? Because God says help is wanted. Let's go to Matthew. See, we're staying right in Matthew here. Matthew chapter 9. So one, 
chapter back from where we were. I want you all to witness, but I want to depressurize you about witnessing. How about that? I want to encourage you to witness, but I want you to get your eyes on the right things to depressure you so that you can witness more. And we're going to see that in the scriptures. So Matthew 9, 36. It says, but when he saw the multitudes, this is Jesus, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Would Jesus still say this today in central New York? Is the harvest still plentiful in central New York? You know, we live in the Northeast, statistically, it's actually a lower area of believers. You know, the the vast majority of people in the Northeast are not professed evangelical Christians. The harvest definitely is white for sure in Syracuse. Jesus would still say that today about us. So there's a giant need. There's few workers. Jesus is moved with compassion. What does Jesus recommend? What does Jesus recommend here? He recommends start with praying. Start with praying. I love that our church is praying. Almost every Sunday night, many in the church gather. We sing a few songs. We have a short message, an encouraging message. And then we all get together and we pray about that message. And then we pray for specific things. You know, the Bible says God's house should be called a house of prayer. And when we do that, this house is a house of prayer. And when you do this on Sunday night, you are very likely to keep doing that habit during the week. You're going to continue praying because you're forming a habit there. And we always are praying that God would save someone. Aren't we always lifting somebody up in prayer? This person's nephew is terrible. This person's neighbor is sick and they don't know the Lord. We're always praying for people. The thing Jesus said here is, pray that the Lord of the harvest send forth workers into the field. But brethren, we're doing this now. The church is praying. Hallelujah, a house of prayer. Can anybody argue with the church being called a house of prayer? God forbid. God forbid. My next point for this, notice it says, his harvest. There's a lot of truth in those two words, brethren. It's his harvest. Pressure off, saints. Pressure off, saints. Many times we as Christians, we forget that the harvest, it's not your harvest. It's his harvest. It's God's harvest. What I mean about that is that Christians, we take onto our shoulders, oh, I got to win this soul to Christ. I don't even know what to say. And they freeze like deer in the headlamps. We do this. I can't do it, Lord. I don't know what to say. What if they ask me a question I can't answer? What if they don't like me after I tell them the truth? We have these daunting ideas in our minds that, that inhibit us and freeze us up. But when we do that, brethren, we are forgetting that this is not our harvest, this is his harvest. This is God. It's the Lord of the harvest. He is working all the time on people. We forget this. We encounter our neighbor or we encounter somebody, and we forget that the God of heaven knows that person intimately. They know exactly, the Lord knows exactly where that person is at this point in time. 
The Lord knows everything in their life. He knows all the different forces and effects that he has brought to bear in that life. And he is trying to bring that person into an intersection with the gospel so that they might be saved. It's not your harvest. It's not your work. But when we take it all on our shoulders, we can freeze up. And the Lord doesn't want us freezing up. We have a small but important role in the process. It's God's harvest. Brethren, if you grab hold of that concept, it's a game changer. It's not your harvest. It's not going to be the magic word that you say that leads that person to Christ. That person has already been on a journey. And Jesus is already preparing that, their hearts. I'm going to show you that in a minute. It's very important. This is very liberating if you grab hold of this concept. It's very li- Pressure is off, saints, when you grab hold of this concept. God is not asking us to do that much. He is doing most of it. We just play a small but vital part in it. You know, the Bible says one plants and other waters and other harvests. Paul wrote that. But actually, brethren, most times in our life, we're not going to be the ones who are actually there when that person get har- gets harvested. We're always focusing on the harvest. That's why people get so uh, taken up in trying to get people to pray the sinner's prayer. Because that's the harvest, right? The sinner's prayer is the harvest. But that's not really the harvest. We want people to become followers of Jesus. We want people to be connected to a church and placed in a body. God is always working on the hearts of the people around us. The Lord of the harvest is overseeing the whole operation. Lord of the harvest, that sounds big. What's the Lord of the harvest? Well, he owns fields. And he's got workers. And he's got wagons. And he's sending rain. And he's fertilizing. And he's sending plowers out. And he's doing all this stuff. He's the Lord of the harvest. We're not the Lord of the harvest. We're just a small part of it. Praise God. It's an enterprise in scope, and it's God's enterprise. We're just small parts. Maybe maybe our part is to ask a single probing question. Maybe you ask something about something in their life. You just get them thinking. You just place a stone in their shoe that irritates them. And they come back and they ask you or they ask somebody else about that, that annoying thing that you asked them about that they can't get their arms around. Maybe a single probing question. And I say that to, not to say that you don't have to do anything or something, but you have to not do it all. You have to just play your part in the grand design of a God who is always working, to accomplish the most good by the best possible means for the most people over the longest time. Night and day, night and day, he's working. He's never resting. You're sleeping. God's on the job. Praise God. He's always working to accomplish salvation on the earth. If you want to know what the will of God is, you look it up in your own Bible. There's, not, there's a lot about the will of God in the Bible. But there's only a few times where it says, this is God's will. And the Bible says it is God's will that all men be saved. So if you want to pray for the will of God to be done in your life and to have a part in that, he will back you up, as Brother Ben and I were talking about yesterday. If you want to pray, you want to see God move in your life. If you want to see answer to prayer, you start asking God to make you a soul winner. You start asking God, Lord, break me. Help me to have a heart of compassion like Jesus did to win souls. And it will begin to affect you. 
You're not going to jump from a 1 to a 10, but you go from a 1 to a All of us will go forward and forward and forward. It's a progression. But remember, brethren, he is the Lord of the harvest. Praise God. So in other words, Christian, take the weight off of your shoulders that prevents you, that freezes you, and, and, and it keeps you from getting going, and just start being prayerful about the people around you, the people in your lives. If you start praying for the neighbor next door, God's going to start causing you to have interactions with that neighbor, and then you're going to end up talking to that neighbor and have a conversation and ask him a question, and next thing you know, you're, you're witnessing to him. Praise God. And it starts with prayer. Right now in the middle of the sermon, right now in the middle of the sermon, brethren, in, can you pray? In, can we just bow our heads for a moment? Can we, you don't have to pray this if you don't want to have this type of heart. But can you pray this simple prayer? Lord, show me how I fit into your harvest. Help me to be someone who prays for the people around me and that is seeking to be part of God's salvation plan for everyone around me. Help me to do my part. Can we just close our heads and pray right now? Heavenly Father, help us. Help us, Lord, to move forward from a zero to a one, from a one to a two, to a two to a five. Help us to care about those around us, Lord. Help us to pray for the people around our lives and ask for these appointments led by your Holy Spirit to these people that are, that you, the, you, Lord, you know where each person is around us, exactly where they're at. Just help us to open our mouths and speak on your behalf. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Thank you, brethren. Thank you for praying. It's not, the message is not over. Imagine that. All right. We have also seen in the scripture, the need is there, the fields are white. Another thing from this scripture, what Jesus says here, Jesus was moved with what? Compassion. Jesus had immeasurable compassion for people. And when you follow him and you spend time with Jesus, and you see his love and concern that you feel, that you feel, you feel it. You feel the love of Jesus in your life. He has that same love and that same feeling for every single person that you know. He has that same that feeling that you're feeling from God, that special love from God. He has that special feeling for every person, but it doesn't mean they're benefiting from it. So when we spend time with Jesus, we get more compassion from Jesus for those around us. And if you start to pray for souls, even if a minute in the morning, for a minute in the morning, Lord, give me more compassion for souls. You don't think God's going to answer that prayer? If you ask him that, Brethren, he's going, to, he's going to answer that prayer. And you're going to come tell me, I started praying for that, and God started changing my heart. Praise God. And I pray. You know, sometimes our frustrations can cause us to harden our hearts. Do you realize that? As Christians, we don't like to fail. We don't like to fail as Christians. But when we start to have some lack of success, we can harden our hearts. We can harden our hearts against the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. That's why the Lord wants to break us down. And, and he does that through prayer so that we can have those hearts of compassion for the lost. So pray that God would even, brethren, pray for this. And even if you really are concerned, do a little fast for it. You know, do a little fast. If you're like, I don't, I don't see myself really caring that much about folks around me to the degree of really doing this. Fast for 24 hours and ask the Lord to change your heart. And you know when you're fasting, when you're fasting for that food and you're keeping yourself from that food that you really want, God can slip in there a hunger for the thing that you don't really want. You follow? He transfers over. I'm hungry for food. I'm hungry for... 
hungry for souls. I'm hungry for souls as we pray and fast. I really encourage the power of fasting. I haven't talked about it in a long time, but I'm a, I'm a firm believer and practicer of that principle. God, make me hungry for souls like I am at this moment for my next meal. How about that? Wow, what a prayer that would be. Lord, make me hungry for souls like I am at three in the afternoon after fasting for 24 hours for my dinner. Give me a spiritual hunger for souls, Lord. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. And when you ask, you ask amiss. And what is asking amiss but to heap up God's blessings only for our benefit? And this is what I do when I see an area of lack in my Christian walk. And I see them often. I ask God to work in me to will and to do of his good pleasure. God will work on you to want to do the thing that God wants you to do. If you're willing to ask God to do that. If you're willing to ask God to change your heart, to want the thing that you don't want, the good thing, he will do that. Because you're, you're praying according to his will. He will always answer such a prayer. Praise God. Don't be afraid to pray such a prayer. That's part of brokenness. All right, let's go to, let's go to John six forty four. And I feel the Holy Spirit on me tonight, brethren. I hope you can sense that. Why would the Holy Spirit be on me tonight to tell us this message? Because it's in exact alignment with what God's will is for the world. So how could the Holy Spirit not back me up tonight, right? I'm preaching exactly what God's heart is. Jesus had compassion on the people. He said, send forth more laborers. I'm here on a recruiting drive. Tell me the Lord's not going to back me up. Praise God. John 6, 44. In John 6, 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be taught, they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. See what I'm saying? God's working on people's hearts. God is already teaching people. These people that come to Jesus, it says right here, all they shall be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. That means God is working on those people before they come to Jesus. That's what that says there. He is already speaking to them in their consciences and through life events to turn them to Jesus. And this is what the Holy Spirit... So again, the Holy Spirit is working towards this. It's not on, all on you or me. It's not all on you or me. When you encounter the mailman bringing you... It's not all on you. You can ask, how are you today? Is everything good in your family? You open up a conversation. And, and things can change. Things can happen when we talk to people. Praise God. We don't know who those people are that, that Jesus is, the Father is drawing to Jesus. But God knows. And it's not your job. I'm going to talk about this next time. It's not your job to figure out who the Lord wants and he doesn't want. We're not, we're not, we're not you know, with, with fishing today, not to digress into fishing, which I frequently do, but they have these things now called live scopes. So live scope is ridiculous. I'll probably get one someday, but they're ridiculous. Um, it's like a live action. You can watch the fish underwater as they're swimming around. So you can spot the fish all the way from me to Mikjuru. Oh, there's a walleye over there. Shoo! You can cast a specific fish. It's like a video game. This is where it's coming to. But anyway, thank God for catch and release or they wipe all the lakes out. Anyway, but um, my point is we're not using live scopes for souls unless the Holy Spirit tells you, right? We're, we're using nets, 
The Bible primarily, the men in the Bible primarily use nets. We're going to talk about that in the future. So we drop the net. God knows the ones that he's drawing. The Holy Spirit's working on people's lives all the time. And we have to have this confidence. It's Jesus is going to make us fishers of men. He's the Lord of the harvest. His Holy Spirit is working. It's not about you or me. It's about Jesus. Jesus is working. Jesus is working. We have to have that confidence. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Praise God. It's not our job to figure it out. People that receive God's word, they come to Jesus. They're taught by God. Now, it's not even up to you to do all in your power to bring them to Jesus. The Lord is already bringing them to Jesus. You have to just do your part. Brethren, I find this very liberating. I'm a very pressurized person. If you, don't, if you know me at all, I have a lot of internal pressure in myself. And a lot of you probably are like that too. But it's not, it's not all about me. It's like when Jesus told me that I don't have to take any thought for tomorrow. Take no thought for tomorrow. Oh, that's a command? That's a command, Jesus? Yeah, I don't want you thinking about tomorrow. You're telling me not to think about tomorrow? Okay, I'm not going to think about tomorrow anymore. Great. Thanks, Lord. I'm free. Praise God. <laughs> Jesus is going to take care of tomorrow. So here in this scenario, guess what? This is, this is not your harvest. This is my harvest. I'm going to teach you how to become a fisher of men. Uh, my spirit is working on people all the time and drawing people to myself. Pressure's off, brethren. Just do your part. Just do your little part. Praise God. You know, the gospel is the word of God that saves. We, we share with people, and, and, and as, as someone who witnesses to people, you can go off on many tangents, right? The person will say, well, what about creation? And you may have to go a little bit down that path. But ultimately, we can get drawn off in, in cr- discussions about evolution and creation, uh, what, what the Bible says about abortion or same sex or sexual identity, politics people want to get into. But really, every conversation, as we listen, as we talk, as we empathize, our goal is to transition back to the thing that's going to save people. You know what the thing that's going to save people is? The same thing that saved you. However many years ago when you heard the gospel, the thing that saved you when you, were, you hardly understood the gospel, like, right? Like, how much did you know? When you got saved, how much did you know about the gospel? You didn't know much about the gospel. I didn't know much about the gospel. But that's the beauty of the gospel. The gospel is simple. It's simple. You know, in Romans 1.16, it says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in the righteousness of God is in, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. The gospel is the power of God. The gospel is amazingly simple, but it's very profound and it's, it was designed to be simple. God wanted it to be simple, right? Brother Brian designed a whole home fellowship unit called the Romans Road. Why did he do that? Why did Brother Brian do that unit, the Romans Road? to refresh our understanding of the gospel. Right, Brother Brian? To give us the basics again of the gospel. which is car- Now, here's my, here's my simple version of it. You, nothing's going to be new to you. You're all going to know the gospel. Here's how, I, here's how I explain it to people. One, God loves you very, very much. He is concerned about your well-being. He is really concerned about where you're going to spend eternity. He loves you a lot. He is concerned that you're going to be separated from him for all eternity, right? And the problem is, we've all sinned. God is a holy God. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. God's not going to have any unholy objects in heaven. So we're lost. God's holy. We're sinners. We're not going to heaven. 
But thank God, God sent his son Jesus who lived a perfect life, who proved he was God left and right from the words he spoke to the things he did. And he, he died for our sins, the Bible says. And then he rose again. God rose, raised him from the dead to prove that his words were true and everything about him was true. If you believe on Jesus, this is the, so one is, one is, what's one? One is, God is holy. Two is, you are lost in your sin. Three is, Jesus is the bridge, right? Between our sinfulness and a holy God through his blood. And if we believe on Jesus, all of the goodness of Jesus gets transferred to you and all of your sin gets transferred to Jesus, and your sins are wiped out. Praise God. That's the whole gospel message, really. I mean, you can go off and explain it in all different ways, but the gospel is simple. When you believe on Jesus, that's the beginning of being born again. That's the beginning of a new life. And that's what saves. It's the gospel that saves. Nothing else saves. Let's go to another verse. Let's go to Proverbs 11.30. Proverbs 11.30. We're doing time-wise here. Oh, boy. I'm going tangential tonight, so that's why it's not getting through my... But I'm, I'm going to probably wrap up with this one here. <clears throat> Proverbs 11.30. This is a primer. This is just a primer, brother. We're going to cover this in different ways, in different angles in the future, Lord willing. Proverbs 11.30. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. So I'm going to actually, I'm just going to concentrate on one aspect of this. I'm going to pick up this, because it's getting late. And I, I hit you with a lot tonight, even though it's a simple message, right? I've already like, you know, fired all guns here. We fired all guns. So let me just finish with this basic concept. I'm going to finish with the latter part of this verse. He that winneth souls is wise. You're wise. Okay. So let's just take it the wise from two, two quick points on, on wise. First of all, why, if you win souls, why are you wise? Why are you wise if you win souls? Well, brethren, the Bible says when a Christian dies, we don't go to the white throne judgment. We go to something called the judgment seat of Christ. And there's no doubt in my mind that one of the things that Jesus is going to look at, now he's going to look at a lot of things in our lives. He's going to, he's going to test everything. But one of the things certainly he's going to look at is how productive were we in his kingdom in being fishermen, in winning souls, in landing souls. He's going to evaluate that. I know that's very sobering, and I know that's very hard for you to sum. If you don't think that Jesus is going to care about what kind of an impact you made on people's lives around you, I don't know what Bible you're reading, okay? This is sobering. This is sobering for me. It's sobering for you. So one way it's wise is when we help win souls, we're going to be helping ourselves when it comes to eternity, when, there's, when the rewards of heaven for heaven are passed out, we're helping ourselves. He that wins souls is wise. When you, when you step back and you look at something from an eternal point of view, like the things you should be doing in your life now, like what should I be doing in my life now? Well, I want to be obeying God. Great. I'm going to be praying. Great. I'm going to be serving others. Great. I'm going to be loving others. Great. Should I be winning souls? Should I be endeavoring to win souls? Should I be putting a little effort into it? Someone show me from the scriptures how you probably, that's not what the scriptures teach, okay? It's what the scriptures teach. So if that's the case, when we get to heaven, he that wins souls is wise. Jesus is going to say, that was wise. That was wise. Here's a portion of your, of your judgment is based on how you did in that regard. You're wise. If you win souls, you're wise. That's what the word of God says. But I want to tell you something else. 
The word wise in the Hebrew also means skillful. So this is kind of neat. It's, it's wise. Like, you're wise if you win souls. From an eternal point of view, no doubt about it. But also, you're skillful. So what happens when you witness the people? What happens when you witness people? So I've been involved in this ministry for about a year now, where we, wit- we, we witness the people online that come in through advertisements for, you know, like spiritual needs. And they come, and, they, and we witness to them online. And... So I, went, I end up witnessing to people all the time from all around the world, right? So I, I've been witnessing to a lot of Muslims lately. I don't have any Muslims in my life. So I witness to the Muslim to the best of my ability. Then afterwards, I go, wow, I need to know more about this. In order to reach them for Christ, I need to know more. So I go do a little research, watch some videos, get some facts, right? And I go back. I get more skillful. Then I witness to a Hindu. Hindu? I don't know any Hindus. Well, now I do. So I, now I witness to a Hindu. My point is... He that winneth souls is skillful. You be, if you're working at something, you guys all like to be successful. When you're working at something, you're going to get more skillful at it. You're going to say, I have an information deficit here. I don't know everything I need to to reach this kind of a person. And I'm talking about everything. I'm talking about Hindus, Muslims, same-sex, bisexual, uh, porn addictions, drug addicts, etc., etc., you know? So you go and you learn more so you can become more skillful. So he that winneth souls is wise from an eternal point of view, but it's also a great mechanism to become more skillful at witnessing. My point being, the more you do it, the better you will be at it. Just like my shot put in discus throwers, right? They throw 30 times, 40 times. Tomorrow they're a little bit better. The day after that better. We work on skills, we work on stuff. So anyway, I have a lot more. I have a lot more. So in respect to your time, thank you for your eager ear tonight. God bless you all for listening. I appreciate all of you. So let's just close with a word of prayer and uh, send everybody else on the rest of their holiday week. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Your word is life. Oh God, let us give respect unto your word and the direction of your word, Lord. Let us remember that this is your harvest You're the one teaching us how to fish. Your Holy Spirit is moving in men's lives. Help us to play our small part in it, whether it's sowing, watering, breaking up the ground, whatever it is you have for us, Lord. Help us all do better in you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. God bless.